morning, everyone. My name is Bob, and I'm a grateful recovering member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Alan and Malatine. Before I get started, uh, I'm kind of challenged with all of the speakers that come before me. We've had a wonderful lineup and a wonderful uh, experience in sharing this experience. Thank you all. My name is
As I hear people talk about all of the dysfunction and dysfunctional homes that, that we've come from, my home had all of those dysfunctions. There was no drinking in it. It had the, all of the aspects of the here of the dysfunctional homes. My father was a functional literate. He didn't need to write. My mother had one year of college, and how they ever got together, I still don't know to this day. That was one of those those family secrets we talk about. And I, for many years, I uh, was a king of my father. When I was a boy, growing up, I would bring nobody home with me. I was a friend of my father. He couldn't read or write. And he did what I consider a lot of stupid things. And he got into many arguments. I, had, I was the youngest in family before. And uh, what I had to do with that, that feelings that I had with my father, I had those for many years, he died before I got into the program. What it helped me, we'll talk about later when we talk about the steps, when I got to doing amends. Since my father was dead, I didn't know how to make amends to him, so I wrote him a letter. And I told him how I felt. And that I was sorry that I understood that he did the best he could with what he had. So I took the letter and took it to Gray and sat there and read it to him. And uh, that was quite an experience. Today I, I can say I love my father. I never told me that I can recall his love, but that's all right. I'm sure he did, but he didn't know how to express it. Because I sometimes have difficulty expressing the love that I feel for the people around me. But I no longer have that, that uh, ashamedness that, that I carried for many years to my father. And today I understand he did the best he could. He uh, raised, as I said, four children and none of us went to jail. I can't say that. I had a brother who did. So, speaking of alcoholics, I married three of them. It's fascinating about what alcoholics do to us. I mean, they're interesting people. Uh, they're exciting, it's, it's great to be around them. It's very nearby life, and uh, it's, it's exciting. But we live on the edge, and when we try to withdraw from the edge, they don't want to withdraw. They just having so much fun when they're on the edge. But we try to get them to fall back a little bit, and they don't want to do that. And uh, that causes us some frustration. I saw a bumper sticker the other day, and it said, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. And I thought, well, that's maybe the problem when we're trying to get the alcoholics to move back and to participate. But, but as I said, uh, I love alcoholics. And uh, when I was a kid growing up in the home, my friend, when I was a teenager, I had received a heroin. And she was probably all away. It's really not a ball head, but it's a throwing down for a touch machine. 
go to the neighbors, go to one of my neighbors' house, and then the father came home and met his wife with her. And that would embarrass me. There's never anybody going around like that. And I was very much embarrassed about that. Get into this program. And of course, I need lots of us. And, uh, but that was one of the things that growing up that in my dysfunctional home we never practiced. When I went on to college and worked my way through college and law school. And in my last year of college, you know, we talk about the great American dream, having a, having a wife and 2.2 children and the, and the white guys with the world of growing up to pay the fence and all of, the, all of those things we talk about. So I decided that the, probably the best things I needed was a team in my life. And so I, I'm looking around, so I walk in the street center and where I'm going to college and I was invited to to uh, be a fourth for great. There I met a young lady who was sitting in class. She was about very attractive. She was about to get kicked out of school for for not doing her homework. And so I thought, well, now this woman all she needed was some new direction. Well, it wasn't fun. But I took her under my wing and taught her how to study and how to do the things that you need to do, and, and uh, I went off to law school and she finished undergraduate school, and then we got to we went off to the same time to live the great American dream, and we went off to Chicago and, and uh, eventually had two little girls, and if you had to at that time, all things were always fine, and then we fine, and we followed up in security and all but I tell you, I was fine, no matter what, regardless of what was going on, because, as we know, this disease is a disease of frozen humans. I don't know how else to, to express the fact that uh, I, I didn't really feel the things that, that other people, I thought, were disgusting. Well, when I went through, through school, and we started a family, we were living in Chicago, and, and my wife was having, having difficulties. And I didn't know what they were. And in those days, instead of, uh, uh, if you had an alcohol problem, uh, you went to see a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist uh, uh, would uh, put you on some drugs. And, and uh, what the big developments we see in treatment centers today. But that, my wife at that particular time was a closet alcoholic, but I didn't know what that closet alcoholic was. I couldn't believe as to what, what she was. She never drank much around me, but there were many times when I would come home at night, she would be drunk, or I found out later she would be drunk. And I asked her several times at a later time, but I had never seen a drink. I said, where did you get the alcohol? And she said, well, we had a taxi cab. <laughs> and I never knew that, but she would order liquor and they had it delivered. And, and then uh, I never saw her drink. She didn't eat her meals with us. She was busy taking care of things. She was very busy 
our family. One night we're, we're sitting home and he said to me, uh, well, he's up in bed and drinking. And I'm doing various things around the house. And I finally went upstairs and she said to me, she said, well, I've done it. And I said, done what? And she said, well, I've taken my life. And she had this nursing jar full of pills. And she had taken most of this pills out of that jar and washed them down with whatever she was drinking. And uh, I said, well, I'll have to call you on that. And she said, no, remember, we talked about it. You said that everyone should have the right to, to uh, take their own life if they desire to. And I thought about it, and I laughed in, and I passed over, and I was speechless, and I said, well, maybe this is God asked my prayers. And so I thought this was very natural, so I, she passed out. And so I laid down on the bed beside her, and I said, well, maybe this is, this is going to end. So I planned her journal and, and wrote her obituary and, and did all these things and went to sleep very peacefully. Well, fortunately, uh, I woke up after 10 or 15 minutes and realized how insane this was. At the time, I didn't see insane, and that's the insanity of our lives, the many of the things that we do in, in our daily lives. I might be insane to someone else because we don't, we don't know any other way to control it or to, or to solve it. Well, anyway, this is a hospital up to Sunnydown, she was so clear. But those were the types of incidents that were happening in our life. And time fast forward, a lot of other crazy things transpired. And the insanity that you see, you don't realize when you're living through it, you don't really realize what it is. Well, she had the, the daughter. Eventually, uh, her daughter grew up. She got involved in alcohol and drugs, and, and my wife said to me that I needed to, uh, we needed to put her in a treatment center. Well, the wife was working in a juvenile treatment center in Louisville, so we couldn't carry her there, so we ended up sending her to one in Chattanooga. And so we shipped her off to the treatment center. And shortly uh, thereafter, the daughter started calling, calling her mother and confronting her about her drinking and her drugging. The, that also led to the wife coming to me and she said, I'm going to do something about my alcohol problem. She said, I'm going to go to treatment. So I put her on an airplane and tore her down to well, two weeks later, they go both down there, and she said, you've got to come down for family week. So I go down and can't move it for family week, and I haven't been there for more than a couple of days. And she and the doctor confronted me, and she said, you're an alcoholic. If you don't go to treatment, we're all through. And I said, well, I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I called my boss, and I told him, I told him where I was, and she said, tell me I'm an alcoholic. And he said, well, I didn't know you had that problem. And I said, well, I didn't know I had that problem either. But I started by codependency. I said, if this is what it takes to get you sober, I'll declare myself an alcoholic and we'll get you sober. 
brought out of the East and moved it back home again. And uh, we had new rules there. She was going to A and I was going to L and I. And I started, I started uh, doing things a little differently as, as uh, my friends in this fellowship wanted me very directly because when I got into the program, the first thing I did was because there was no much in the program was to do down better than So I did the steps and did the sponsorship and then I did those things and, and uh, this uh, one of the other things that this uh, lady did that I don't like to talk about is that when I met she had had involved in some uh, indiscretions and, and uh, had several affairs, and what she would do is have these affairs when she came back and tell me. And the first time, the first time she did that to me, I put my fist to the wall. But but then I didn't understand that. Well, you know, it's a better standard in our society. Many times, men go out and do this on their wife, which I don't condone or believe in. And but at the same time, it goes the other way around. It, it doesn't hurt any less. And I felt that was my fault. I felt that I was right then. I felt that, that if I was a better husband, a better wife, a better husband, a better father, a better person, that she wouldn't have to go out and do that. So today I understand she was doing what she needs to take care of herself, and it had nothing to do with me. That's an important lesson, because many things that happen to us that other people insist upon us, it's not us that's causing them. We think it's us, but really, the other people in our lives that happen to the alcoholics so often, they say, well, if they loved us, they wouldn't, they could stop drinking, or it's not a question of love, it's a question of them doing what they need to take care of themselves. And as I tell many newcomers, when they come in, they say, well, they told me that they won't come to drink anymore. So they really, really believe that. They are telling you the truth. Truth. It turns out it's lies, but they are trying to tell you the truth. Although I have some friends in our lives that help me tell the alcoholic when he's lying to them, as he does just with a mouth moving. But it's, it has not many times we get so caught up in, in saying all the things that happen to us are because of what somebody's doing something to us. Most of the time, we're causing, we're causing the problems ourselves and, and uh, not another person. I am my work down at home, above the, on the near above, I have a week down and says, we're looking at the problem. And every day I look at that and remind myself that I'm a problem and, and I'm off with a solution. So that's where the hope comes in. And the second thing is we have the hope of a power very much out of the to somebody. That's, that's what we can recognize the fact that the problem is it's our own, of our own making. Once we recognize that, we can start our journey to recovery if we recognize that's what we're dealing with. But anyway, uh, the, going back to, to uh, my story, the, uh, as I said, this wife, then I hadn't, we hadn't been together more than, after we got out of treatment, more than six months, when she ran off with, uh, with a fellow in the AA, and she was divorced. 
times over. I really got into the program and then was my sponsor at that particular time told me that uh, I could sign up for the International Convention of Alamon Malatina was going to occur in Montreal in 1985. And so I signed up for that, and for the next few years I, I worked the program and and for the best of my ability, got involved in when Alamon got involved in service, got involved with my sponsor. And if my sponsor told me, he said, you don't need that speed in your life in order to have a complete life. And so I did what he told me to do and, and signed up to go to the international and the international team in 1985. We all screwed up in the Midwest and I ended up in Boston flying to Montreal on an airline I had never heard of before or since, and I call it God's airline. I got on the airline and sat down a seat and got me ready to the next one. I seat and I had to put the ready to the next one in. And so I asked her, I said, where are you going? Plane's going to uh, Montreal. So she said, Montreal. I said, I'm going to Montreal. I said, where are you going to Montreal for? And she said, convention. I said, well, I'm going to convention too. You know, I'm on the street. I said, well, I'm on the Thank you. 
what other people think of us, or what other people think about us, and of our business, what other people are doing. It has nothing to do with us. We, we try to make that the part of our lives. One of the things we need to wind is up. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, has helped me tremendously is, is I think this is reading from the Women of the Alcoholic Marriage. In In the second, in this book where they're talking about step three, made a decision here I will not lie down to care of God if you understand them. They asked the question, am I ready to make this decision to let go and let God take a hand in managing my life? Am I ready to keep hands off situations created by others no matter what happens? Or will I try to intercept each problem and try to handle it myself? Do I understand that I am turning over to the care of God only my own life and my own will and my own problems, nobody else's. Will I try to express His will in all my actions and words towards others, and particularly towards the alcoholic whose suffering I cannot understand or feel? This is a Program has saved my life. I don't know if I've adequately described that this morning, but I want to take nothing else from this meeting. Thank the fact that this is a stateful program. And we are stateful beings having earthly experience, not the other way around. And I, at least I've learned that the way we approach by our power is to have a relationship with the Bible. The same way having a relationship with a human being, you can't have that relationship unless you're involved in it. And I, on a daily basis, the guy of my understanding is my friend. He rides beside me when I go downtown in the morning. He rides beside me when we chat about various things. And it doesn't have to have the formality to approach my car. All you have to have is a comfort level to know that regardless of what happens, you're going to be okay. Next, what I would like to leave with you this morning is the thought that regardless of what happens, we're all going to be okay. And I wish that you all find the necessary things that you need to put forward another day of your lives. To the point where you can appreciate each day as it occurs. And I wish for you the growth in the program so that you can feel comfortable with that iPhone. There's a little poem I'd like to end with. It's called God. It's God is like Coke. He's the real thing. God is like Bear Aspen, he works wonders. God is like Hallmark cards, he cares not to say the very best. God is like Echo Airspray, he works in all kinds of ways. God is like Donald Soap, 
Aren't you glad to know them? Glad to meet their wonders? God is like scotch tape. You can't see one, but you know he's there. God is like the American Express sign. Don't be going around it. Thank you for your attention and thank you for your love and thank you for, for just being yourselves and that you give us all self to hug for kind of dependence. And in closing, I'd like to say that I hope that you grasp a desire to make this program an important part of your life. And if nobody is supposed to be there, I love you. I love you. Thank you.